This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, January 4th. The weather forecast for today looks like more showers or drizzle, and that should slake off by early this afternoon. We're looking at a breezy morning and a temperature high of five degrees above zero. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, a murdered OPP officer will be laid to rest today. Number two, Toronto Mayor John Tory pitches significant police budget increases. Number three, football player DeMar Hamlin remains in critical condition. Number four, a poll shows Canadians are hoping Justin Trudeau will retire. And number five, CEOs continue to cash in. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, welcome to your Wednesday. 5.07 on a Wednesday morning. I always try to find a way to sort of characterize the, the collective mood that people might be in. And frankly, I don't have quite the pulse on this Wednesday morning or even this week because... There's an aspect, you know, the streets are not quite as busy, I was noticing yesterday. Um, Restaurants not quite as full. Kids are not back in school this week. Um, And not everybody is back at work. I think some people probably just said, okay, listen, if the kids are going to be out of school, then one of us stays home or both of us stay home and uh, we'll figure this out. I do know that some families are still making their way through a list of the kinds of activities you might get up to when you have some time off altogether. I got a very thankful tweet yesterday from a family that went to see Little Canada. And I know I, I tend to bang the drum about Little Canada, but mostly because, as I've told them, they don't bang their own drum very much. A lot of people have no idea it even exists. They did start advertising after a while. Um, and, and again, for those who aren't aware of it, it is, if you're into model railroading, it's an HO uh, ratio model of some major Canadian cities and their eventual goal is to model the whole country and it is extraordinary and you can probably spend an hour or 90 minutes there and have a fantastic time and I take adults there when they come to town but I also think that a lot of kids probably will get a big kick out of that Uh, but enough of uh, you know trying to capture the city's collective mood or provide you with some plans for the week. Let's start digging into some of the major stories of the day. And one of them would certainly be that uh, there is going to be another police funeral today. And that is, I mean, one is too many. But, um, you know, I was making a list just before we started the show of the police officers in Ontario who have been killed in the line of duty or uh, on their way to being in the line of duty this year. And we have, first of all, Greg Prashala, who is going to be remembered today at 11 a.m. at Sadlin Arena. Funeral will be held for him today. There will also be a procession And I don't think, I was looking at a map, I don't think that that is, I know it's kind of crass to consider a procession for a slain police officer as a traffic problem, but if you're on your way somewhere and all of a sudden you run up against a half-hour barrier, then it's going to be an issue for you. But I was looking at a map and it doesn't seem that it's going to be that much of a traffic disruption, but we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. And uh, Lisa Morales will be here to provide traffic updates through the morning and through the day. 
Um, but yeah, when I was looking at the list of Ontario police officers, we have Devin Northrup, 33 years old, and Morgan Russell, 54 years old. You may remember they arrived on the scene of a domestic disturbance and they were both shot as they entered the home. Travis Gillespie, York Region police officer, was killed in a car crash, a head-on collision, on his way into work. Uh, and then Andrew Hong, uh, 48 years old, who was ambushed. I mean, the guy who killed him was sitting in a Tim Hortons and just waiting for the first uniformed police officer to walk in through the door. And it's, you know, one thing, I guess, uh, the, to arrive on the scene of a bank robbery and think, okay, this could be trouble. It's quite another to grab your coffee and sit down at a table and have somebody shoot you in the head. Um, but it has been a brutal and ugly year. And uh, Greg Prashala, 28 years old, is only the latest of these casualties, but also one of the more appalling killings as well. Because as I was saying on the show yesterday, like, what was what was the idea here? Not like if you have some sort of nefarious plan that it's any better that you kill a police officer, but you're in a car off to the side of the road awaiting some kind of a rescue and you murder the first police officer to arrive on the scene. And notable also that that was the very day that he had been told that his um, probation period with the OPP was over. We'll be talking about, well, I mean, we'll be talking about a lot of stories. That's what we do on the show. We try to open up the ones that need some interpretation. So we go to the experts. We'll be talking about this story, though, especially with Mark Mendelson, News Talk 1010 crime specialist, probably been to more police funerals than he ever wanted to attend. And he'll join us to talk about that. But the other police story we're going to be talking about on the show today, and uh, Mark will be the first police specialist to weigh in on this on our show, um, we'll talk about the Toronto police budget. And I hope that there is going to be a vivid and fulsome debate on this proposal, because what John Tory is proposing is a $48.3 million increase in the Toronto police budget. That's 4.3%. Now, in the shadow of inflation, that kind of pales by comparison, because we're looking uh, we're going to get the December figures soon, and that'll put a cap on the year. We'll know exactly what the year-to-year -year inflation rate was. My speculation is still it's going to be about 6 to 6.5%. Uh, so raising the Toronto police budget by 4.3% may be a, a shadow of that. Although not a lot of the police budget is subject to inflation. Price of gas obviously factors in because there's a lot of motor vehicles, but salaries did not vary last year as a result of inflation. They were locked in at whatever was settled on in the last round of contract negotiations. The idea is to hire new police officers and to beef up the available funding to Toronto Police Service. But like I said, I think this is going to be a fairly vivid debate. For Because one of the issues would be yeah, you can talk about this in terms of a raw percentage, 4.3%, or you can take a look at the numbers and see that Toronto Police Service is already the number one budget envelope for the city of Toronto, and it's a pretty rich budget, well over a billion dollars. And I personally, and this is why I, I'm going to listen to the experts, I'm not convinced that it's just about throwing more money and more bodies at the problem. 
And I also understand, we're going to talk to Josh Matlow on the show because he's set himself up kind of as the new leader of the opposition at Toronto City Hall. And many people think he has ambitions to replace John Tory as mayor in the next election cycle. Um, I'm always mindful of the fact that whenever people say, you know, what we need is more social services, we need to address poverty, challenge neighborhoods, we need to put up more basketball courts, great, five to ten year solution. But is the six month to one year solution just more bodies on the street? And I certainly would like to see a revolution in Toronto Police Service. And I know that John Tory has told me that uh, they've been working on this for some time. But we've just got to get to a point where you're not paying somebody $75,000, $95,000 a year to direct traffic. All right, let's get into what Toronto's talking about with News Talk 1010's John Moore. Good morning, John. Hope you're doing well on this Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be a difficult day for so many in the policing community and really the wider community as we say goodbye to yet another fallen police officer, OPP Constable Greg Pershala. Amazing to think, John, it was just his first solo shift since uh, getting off probation. You're right. He found out the morning that he was killed that he had completed his 10 months of probation with the OPP. He was shot dead, allegedly, by two people he was going to the aid of who were in a car stranded after having gone into the ditch. But I think for a lot of people, Nick, this is going to seem all too familiar as he's honored today at 11 a.m. at the Sadlin Arena uh, because we have had a, a string of police funerals. We had Devin Northrup and Morgan Russell who were both killed at a domestic disturbance. We had Travis Gillespie, a police officer who was killed in a car crash, a head-on car crash, possibly involving a drunk driver. And then Andrew Hong of Toronto Police Service who was murdered uh, in cold blood at a uh, Tim Hortons while he was just grabbing a coffee in Mississauga. So it's going to be another sad occasion today and uh, I you know I hate that we've become accustomed to all of these rituals and traditions even though it's wonderful that they're offered to an officer when they're killed in the line of duty yeah absolutely definitely something we don't want to be accustomed to uh, indeed uh, still on a policing note here though John we'll move on and talk about this uh, the police budget for the city of Toronto going up by about 4.3 percent one of the biggest budget increases we've ever seen uh, on one side uh, Mayor Tory says this will make the streets safer on the other side the councils like Josh Matlow saying this is not what we need. I think John Tory's in for quite the fight here. Now, he commands the control. He doesn't have control necessarily of council, but he seems to have the support of a majority of councillors. Uh, but this is an increase of $48.3 million, Nick, which is 4.3% for Toronto Police Service. And I think the debate is going to be about whether or not more bodies on the street, more officers in uniform, more 911 operators and uh, various other initiatives at Toronto Police Service, whether that's the solution. And I know that John Josh Matlow is already arguing that we need to invest in communities, but the problem with that is that's a long-term solution and people are looking for some short-term peace of mind. All right, well, no one had any peace of mind if they were traveling over the holidays very much because there was so much anxiety, John, about where are you going to get to your final destination? If you got there, where are you going to get home? And now we're seeing both Via Rail and Sunwing execs uh, being sort of summoned to Ottawa to sort of answer some questions. They are going to be quite literally in the hot seat. Liberal Member of Parliament Peter Schiffke is the chair of the House of Commons Transportation Committee. And you're right, he wants to hear from people from Sunwing, probably people from Air Canada as well, and certainly via rail about the chaos. I think we've all seen those incredible uh, video sequences of luggage that lies unclaimed. And for a lot of people, it's luggage that never flew or luggage that was flown to the wrong place or luggage that was left behind after they went home. Um, for via rail, they probably have a bit of an easier time in exploring 
explaining things. They were mm -hmm. suffering from extreme weather, a derailment, and I think most of us have also seen that in one case on the uh, Windsor to Montreal, Quebec City corridor, they had a tree come down on a train. Yeah, it makes you never want to check luggage again when you see those piles of luggage at the airports across the country, John, yeah. right? It's like carry-on is the way to go. Uh, well, we carry on watching, uh, of course, the, the very serious situation of DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills uh, uh, footballer who was injured in that seemingly routine hit, but he had a cardiac arrest, and we're still waiting to hear if he, they may get him breathing on his own again. I wish I had better news for you, but he remains in critical condition, and the report is that he is not improved, though he is stable. And like every other thing, you know, with COVID and various other things that have happened over the last few years, everybody now is a cardiologist, and everybody's talking about mm -hmm. this commotio cordis, which is a condition where if you are struck right in the chest area, in the heart area, uh, at the precise moment uh, where your heart has, is not beating, that it may not start beating again. And so a lot of people are talking about other famous incidents, including Chris Pronger, the uh, St. Louis uh, Blues defenseman who suffered from this but made a quick recovery. Yeah, so everyone's hoping that uh, Hamlin just uh, recovers very soon. That's a story we'll definitely keep following indeed. Uh, in the meantime, John... I don't know about you, but uh, I kind of wish I had a bit of a more senior role as the CEO pay uh, stratosphere only goes one direction, it seems. New figures are out. The 100 highest-paid CEOs in Canada made an average of $14.3 million, Nick, in 2021. The previous time they did these numbers in 2018, it was 11.8. So that's pretty significant stuff. I think the better measure of this is how much does a CEO make versus what the lowest-paid employee of the company makes. And in this case, it's 243 times the average worker's salary in 2021. Back in 2018, it was 227. So I'm not saying these people don't deserve to be richly paid for being very talented sometimes at what they do for a living, but this is extraordinary. I mean, 25 years ago, a corporate executive was making a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, no kidding. So there's uh, inflation there, uh, certainly when it comes to the pay there. John Moore, always great to talk to you. Have a great show this morning. You can always catch News Talk 1010's John Moore up until 9 o'clock this morning, every morning, Monday to Friday. Take care, John. Have a great show. That's our friend Nick Dixon over at CP24. And we'll talk about the CEO compensation and many other issues on the roundtables this morning. And it's 6.20 on the morning brief on patrol this morning. It's Scott Reed, who's always feisty, even early in the morning. I find the CEO pay debate always fascinating and perplexing because there are quite a few people. And Jerry Agar is not here to answer for this, but he has often taken the position that, you know, it's, it's sort of smoke them if you got them. If you can make that kind of money, why shouldn't you make that kind of money? And that's a, a nice way to look at it, except the same crew who seem to espouse that always seem to grieve, you know, education workers who want three and a half percent. I just think that in a corporation, you know, somebody, Galen Weston, I think it's a blessing and a curse that he's made himself the avatar and the brand for Loblaws, because he seems to be a fairly likable fellow. So his whole idea was, hey, I own the company, but here, how, how would you like a deal on lettuce? And he does his own advertising. But he also took back the special pay raise that uh, his lowest earning employees were making during COVID fairly quickly. And it just doesn't seem that the Weston household is that impoverished by things if people make just a little bit more money. And you don't have to live in some crazy socialist uh, world 
to think that the average worker in a multi-billion dollar corporation can be fairly paid and it doesn't make that big a difference to the shareholders or to the owners in the long run if there is more sharing of, of the wealth. And certainly in the C-suite, the one thing I'll always come back to is when you or people who are like you are responsible for your compensation, you will always make more. So when you're some MBA grad who works at the top echelons of a major corporation and the boardroom is composed of people exactly like you, they all say, well, you deserve to make money. We deserve to make money. 528 moments away from the 530 headlines and a check on traffic. Enough time to give you a bit of an impression of the architecture of the show today. Our crime specialist, Mark Mendelson, will be here at 605, and he's here to paint a picture, I guess, of the police funeral that we are going to witness today. The public is not invited, but you'll have ample opportunity, including on CP24, our sister TV station, to watch and virtually attend those services today if you want to. They're at 11 o'clock. We're going to talk about this issue of CEO compensation with David McDonald, who's an economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. That'll be at 6.35. It's White Coat Wednesday. And in for Dr. Mitch Shulman, who's taking a break, it will be infectious disease expert Dr. Zane Chagla. And amongst other things, we'll talk about what happened to Damar Hamlin. And we'll also address this ghoulish thing. And it's not just in the wake of Damar Hamlin. Now, as soon as anybody under the age of 60 passes away, it is circulated on social media with people saying it's the jab. It's the vaccine. And to date, there is no indication still. And the vaccines have been administered more than a billion times around the world. There is no indication that there is some kind of a crazy vaccine-related spike in cardiac deaths. But the ghoulishness of these people who are just so anxious to prove their conspiracy theories is astounding. And then at 8.05... Josh Matlow will be here to stir the pot. He, amongst many people, I've, I have no idea what the proportion would be uh, of the population. I mean, you know, yesterday Desmond Cole was at Toronto City Hall. He's an activist, and he does not believe that enhancing Toronto Police Service and adding bodies is a positive policy, and also believes that in terms of racialized Torontonians, it's kind of a provocation. Josh Matlow also does not believe that adding almost $50 million to the police budget is a good idea. He'll be here to explain precisely why. And then Toronto Police Association President John Reed will be here this morning as well to, ex well, actually, I don't know what his policy is, but I always think that any union leader who's going to have extra bodies in the union is always going to be excited about that. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Speaking of famous people with desperate health troubles, it looks like Jeremy Renner may be okay. Twice nominated for an Oscar. He's 51 years old, and what a strange accident. But apparently, he owns his own snowplow, and it's like a seven-ton vehicle. But I guess if you got the kind of money that Hollywood actors have, then and you're enthusiastic about something like living in the country and having your own snowplow, then knock yourself out. He was apparently helping pull a stranded vehicle out of the snow. And according to the people who were on the scene, what happened was he got out of his snowcat, 
to go speak to a member of his family, and then the vehicle started to move, and then he tried to get back into it in order to put on the brakes, and he was run over by his own vehicle. So he suffered some pretty grievous injuries, but he posted a picture yesterday on social media where, you know, just in terms of his face, it didn't look too bad, looked like he was in okay shape. And he said that he was doing okay. He said, thank you for your kind words. I'm too messed up now to type, but I send love to you all. In other news, the uh, pilgrims continue in Rome to file past the bier of Pope Benedict XVI. Paul Workman is covering the story from uh, St. Peter's. There's been a stream of people going through. The Vatican told us just a while ago that more than 100,000 people have gone to view the body since that began on Monday morning. One more day of public viewing uh, before the funeral on Thursday. The, the people who have been coming here have been really quite matter-of-fact. Not, there's not a lot of emotion involved. Of course, you know, uh, Pope Benedict was retired for 10 years before his death, and he never had the same kind of charisma and magnetism that other popes have had. Um, he was known as a theologian, even a bureaucrat, so not as beloved as um, his predecessor, John Paul II, of course, nor his successor, Pope Francis here. That's Paul Workman reporting for CTV. The funeral takes place in Rome at St. Paul's Cathedral tomorrow, and it all depends on the timing, but I imagine Catholic masses can be fairly quick, although a papal mass probably takes a little bit longer. Uh, but Tom Cardinal Collins, the Archbishop of Toronto, is actually in Rome for the funeral, and he's going to join us after the funeral. At some point on our show, owing to the time difference, he'll be able to step out of the Vatican, grab his cell phone, and give us a call and give us an account of what it was like. And something I'm curious to ask him about is what it's like, because he's been through this cycle before, to attend a funeral, and yet there is no, there's no, you know, not chaos necessarily, but the church just continues because they have a pope. They've had a pope for the last 10 years. And so the cardinals are there only for a funeral. They're not going to get into the papal conclave and choose a new pope. Although I imagine they'll probably have some chats. So maybe he can tell us a bit about what it's like to yak with the current pope. In other news this morning, Health Canada has authorized the importation of children's acetaminophen from a Turkish pharmaceutical company to Alberta. And the news here is that uh, whatever deal Alberta has struck, um, they've struck a deal to buy 5 million bottles. And this is actually liquid stuff that is made for kids, but it is hospital, not hospital grade, but what they do in a hospital is not like the stuff you buy and put in the medicine chest. They dispense it as needed. So this can be shared with other jurisdictions. Not sure if Ontario is in line for this. And if we can lay one thing to rest, incidentally, people love to ride around their hobby horses on various issues. I was commenting earlier in the show about how people are abusing and I think being extraordinarily ghoulish in the uh, cardiac arrest that was suffered by that football player. They're just using that as, oh, look, see, it must have been the vaccine. Well, in the case of this medicine shortage in Canada, which exists in a whole bunch of other countries as well, 
The idea that it is because we can't allow any bottles into the country unless they are labeled in English and French is not true. The federal government waived the language requirement a good long time ago because it was a very practical thing to do. So the idea that some sort of obsession with bilingualism, which is something people have been nursing since the early 1970s, once they got over the new flag, then they moved on to hating official bilingualism. Then they moved on to hating metric. Um, I don't know what the issue would be now that they're all worked out about. But uh, it is not because of bilingual labels. Speaking of things coming into the country, some new numbers are out for immigration. And in 2022, the year just concluded, federal government settled 431,645 new permanent residents. The previous all-time record was set in 2021. But I like, I got to go into the figures. Yeah, believe it or not, before 2021, the previous year where a record was set for immigration was 1913. 1913. I got to look up the official figure here because that's not quoted in in this particular coverage. But people forget, you know, because it's such a formal procedure now, bringing new people into Canada with tons of paperwork and they arrive on planes, they don't come on boats. But there was a period of time where people just got on a boat, said goodbye to their relatives forever because they were coming to Canada of, of modest means and they were probably not going to become rich and they certainly uh, could not hop on a plane and go home. They would have to get on a boat again. And frankly, uh, a lot of them were made deals or were required to go to like Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Alberta. So there was just no way they were ever going to get on a train and go all the way back to Montreal or Halifax and get on a boat and go back to Ireland and say, how you doing? Uh, but people used to arrive in enormous numbers and it was not, and, and in numbers that by proportion of those who were already here were extreme. But, you know, the risk of getting up on my own hobby horse, I've often pointed out because people keep saying, well, look at the newcomers. They're changing the complexion of our country. Yeah, and they always have. And in the 1850s, it was Irish Catholics. Irish Catholics were the scourge of Toronto. Now, of course, what do we do? Everybody of any stripe gets together for St. Patrick's Day because it's the best party in town. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.